Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. And this morning I'll be reading Isaiah 54 and 5 from the New American Standard Bible. Oftentimes people ask me, Mike, what version of the Bible do you use and why do you use it? And I use the New American Standard Version in this context because it's the most accurate version from my understanding. I'm not a scholar of the Bible languages. I have been a student, continue to be a student of the Bible languages. But what I discover when I really look at it with a certain degree of scrutiny, that this version is the best for accuracy. Sometimes it's harder to understand. I know that. I've had people say, well, it's really hard to understand. I get a little confused when I read it. And I understand that, but I use it because it's accurate and try to interpret those parts which may be a little bit unclear. Another version, close second, I would say, maybe the flip side of the coin even, is the English Standard Version. And that version itself is very accurate but quite frankly, more readable. So if you're looking for a good version to have to read, and it's close enough you can follow it along when I read the New American Standard, try the English Standard Version. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. In 1923, Eric Little was a rising star in the pantheon of heroes in Great Britain. The reason was because this Scotsman was a tremendous sprinter. He was especially adept at the hundred meters. When the time came for him to represent Great Britain in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, he did not qualify for the 100 meters because he refused to run in his assigned preliminary race because it was on Sunday. And he said, I just can't do it. It took a lot of courage for him to do it, a lot of humility, because quite frankly, he was the odds-on favorite to win the world championship. But he did not because he believed the Lord would not have him to do that. As he turned to the future, he didn't know what he was going to do in terms of his racing career. But before the Olympics were over, turn of events that I'm sure was orchestrated by God's Spirit, he did run the 400 meters and he won the gold medal. And, by the way, he set a world record in the process. But prior to that, in 1923... This man, Eric Little, was a man who came to be known as a believer in Jesus. He didn't become a Christian in 1923. He had been a follower of Christ since his boyhood. And he was not nominally Christian. He was one who was totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, as evidenced by the illustration which I gave to begin with. But he was painfully shy. Some of you can relate to this. The thing that scared him the most was to stand in front of a crowd of people and talk about anything. 
He was afraid to talk about Jesus. But as people became more and more aware of his celebrity and how that was gaining ground in their Great Britain, there was a group of students who were students at Glasgow, Scotland, in the University of Glasgow, and they were carrying on a campaign in nearby Edinburgh, not in the city, but on the outskirts of the city to share Christ with people who were down and out. They were having little success. At that point, one of their leaders, David Patrick Thompson, decided he would go and on behalf of the group, try to find Eric Little and ask if he would come and give his story about how he came to Christ to see if it would jumpstart their evangelistic meeting that really was going nowhere. He found his way to the house where Eric and his brother lived, knocked on the door, found Eric there. In fact, Eric answered the door. He proposed the possibility that Eric would come and share the word there. And Eric paused, he thought, and then surprised himself by saying, yes, I will. The moment that Thompson left and Eric Little closed the door, he wished he had never said yes because of his fear of speaking publicly. His sister Jenny, who was a great influence on his life, she was older than he, found out about this possibility and she knew the fear that Eric had when it came to speaking to others. Penned him a note. And this is what was contained in the note. In Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the Word of God says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And those words which were given to Jenny the day that she wrote this note of encouragement to her little brother were used in his life, not just in that speaking engagement sponsored by the Scottish Evangelistic Union of the University of Glasgow, but it was used when he went to Paris and then all over the world when he was asked to speak. And he spoke with clarity and with power as he depended upon the Holy Spirit. Well, this verse that we looked at this morning indicates why Jenny, his sister, was used to launch such a fruitful speaking career on Eric's part. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Eric was weary, or wary, or both, to sustain the weary one with the word. Morning by morning, he awakens me to listen. He opens my ear to listen like a disciple. God wanted that for Jenny, and she obeyed. We don't have any follow-up story regarding how Eric did the same thing, except for the fact that when he went back to China, where he was born and raised, and started mission work, 
his mission work was extremely successful. And undoubtedly, he met with the Lord, someone who was ultimately used to help other people. He read the Bible, as did his sister, for all it is worth. Do you realize that you don't have to be a missionary or a great athlete or some sort of popular culture hero in order to be used by God? If you will submit yourself to the Word of God, God will use you in a way that may never be known by anyone else except those people whom He touches through you by His Word. And so I want to explore with you this morning why the Bible is worth reading. We've seen here an example of it, and I want to give you at least five major reasons, and there are undoubtedly many more. I don't pretend to know all the reasons, but I'm giving you a jump start on this today in answer to the question, why is the Bible worth your reading? First of all, because it's an infinite book. The Bible says also in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God lasts forever. There are two things that apparently last forever. The word of God and people. God uses his word to do a work in our hearts when we come before him and we read his word. But also, He implants that Word in our hearts so that we can be used to help other people grow if they don't know, know God if they don't know Him so that they can grow and become like Christ and be used by Him in this life. Jesus Himself, who is God incarnate, says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will never pass away. That recommends that we listen to the words of Jesus, doesn't it? The whole Bible has Jesus as its subject. I hope you know that. I'm reading in the book of Luke and Isaiah simultaneously in my own personal time alone with the Lord. And I read yesterday in Luke 24 something that just every time I read it grips my heart. You remember the story of how Jesus in his post-resurrection body encountered two Disciples of his, one is named Cleopas, the other remains unnamed. They were from a village not too far from Jerusalem called Emmaus. They were walking from Jerusalem after, after the Passover celebration, going back home, and the scripture says they were sad. They were sad because their master, their rabbi, the man whom they believed was the Messiah, had been crucified after having been brutalized and Their world had shattered. Jesus shows up. The Bible says He just showed up. That's the way Jesus got around in His resurrected body. And by the way, the Bible says when we see Him, we're going to be like Him. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? Like Him in body. We'll have a spiritual body. Those words don't even go together in our thinking because when we think of a spirit, we think of something that's immaterial. Do we not? So a spiritual body, don't ask me how this works, I just know it does because that's what the scripture says, and Jesus had this sort of body. It's a body which is really relevant to this dimension and also the spiritual world that we do not see. At least we don't know when we see it, when we see it usually. 
So Jesus said to them, as he talked to them and finally revealed himself to them, how did he go about revealing himself to them? Do you remember? The Bible says when he sat down with them and they began to have a meal together, the Bible says beginning with Moses and continuing through the prophets, he showed them everything that Moses and the prophets said about him. People who lived hundreds and sometimes over a thousand years before Jesus talked about him. The scripture is about Jesus, not just the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. It is an infinite book. Another reason why the Bible is worth reading is because it's an invaluable book. Some things we might say go on and on and on that don't have a lot of value to us. But what we do know about the Bible, the writer of Psalm 119 says, I have treasured your word in my heart. The NIV translates that line from Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart. But really, the New American Standard gets this right. The word is a word which means I have treasured something. To hide something in my heart. Do you have anything hidden in your heart that nobody else knows and you don't want them to know? You're not treasuring that. In a way you are, in sort of a twisted way you might be. But sometimes there are things in our hearts that we don't like there and we're hiding them to avoid being shamed. By their being known. But in the case of something which we really treasure, we hide it there for safekeeping, not to hoard it, but to make sure it's not some way diminished or taken away. The Word of God is a treasure beyond our own imagination in our hearts. A young French girl in her early teens was blind She heard the gospel. She came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. And as usually happens, when someone comes to Christ, they want to read the Word of God, remembering who is the subject of the Scriptures. It is none other than Jesus Himself. She was given a Braille Bible. She was fluent in Braille, bright young lady. And she spent every spare moment reading The Word of God. Reading, reading, reading. Until she developed calluses on all ten digits. And she lost capacity to really feel the letters as she would read. In an effort to get some way of hearing in her heart the Word of God, she began to painfully peel off the calluses to get down to that part which still had some nerve sensation which could help her to read. And she did damage to her nerves at the end ends of her digits until finally she couldn't feel anymore. She was forlorn. She didn't know what she would do. And then it occurred to her that maybe she could use her lips to read the Braille Bible, which she so treasured. And she did. I would say that young lady knew the value of the Bible, wouldn't you? It is invaluable. It's invaluable for pleasing God. Paul writes in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we make it our goal to please the Lord. 
And for good reason. Hebrews chapter 11 says, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. From Scripture. God speaks to us through Scripture. And consequently, we act in faith. We do not have any legitimate faith apart from our exposure to the Word of God. God increases our faith to the level that we hear from Him and we trust Him. And the result is we can please God. Do you think it's important to please God? Absolutely. And this indicates the great value of the Bible. It's also invaluable for personal peace. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but I would imagine there is more than one person in the room who is lagging behind in peace. Your heart's in an uproar, and you need peace. The Bible says, if only you paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. And your righteousness than the, like the waves of the sea. If only you had paid attention to my commands. Where do we find the commands of the Lord? In the Bible, right? And so we expose ourselves to the Word of God. And if we adhere, having heard the Word of God, to what God says, the result is we can have peace. In the book of... Philippians, the Bible tells us in the fourth chapter, do not let your heart be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, how do we know what that would be for us? It's in the Word of God, isn't it? He keeps him or her in perfect peace, Isaiah 26, 3. He keeps him, God keeps the person in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on the Lord. The Scripture is full of encouragement and direction regarding personal peace. It's invaluable. The Word of God gives us hope, gives us peace. Here's a third expression of the value of Scripture, it is indeed invaluable for success. Joshua writes, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You want success? I know we have a lot of successful people in this room. I'm talking about achievement in your life. A lot of you have achieved a lot. You've worked hard to get there. Some of you had to work harder than others to overcome obstacles that were in your way because of where you started out. The home of origin, the apparent handicaps which you had, all those things. You've achieved a lot. A lot. But real success comes and is based upon the Word of God. The Don't let the book of the law, that would be the word of God, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. Mull it over. Ezra is described this way in the book of Ezra, the seventh chapter in the tenth verse. The Bible says about Ezra, the great scribe of Judah. 
it says he devoted himself to the study of the word of God and to do it and to teach Israel what God had told him about the word of God, to pass it on. Undoubtedly, he was familiar with Joshua, the book as we call it. He sought to meditate on God's Word day and night so that he might be careful to do everything written in it. He was successful in his work. And surely he would have been familiar with this passage in Isaiah, which we're reading. And the things which are said in Isaiah about peace. If only you'd paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Real success is accessible. Are you listening? Real success is accessible to everyone who knows Jesus Christ. If we put ourselves in a position to meditate on His Word by hearing His Word, learning His Word, and mulling it over. Here's a fourth area for guidance in our lives. There's a phenomenon that has cropped up, and I don't know exactly how many years ago I became aware of it, probably 20 at least, is the phenomenon of life coaches. Are you familiar with this phenomenon? Now, most of us aren't because we couldn't afford one, because it's really for those people who have a lot of money and extra discretionary money. But... I began to do a little thinking on this when I thought about this whole idea of direction, how so many people go to great lengths to make sure they have proper direction. I did a little Google research and found that the man probably who is the most successful monetarily from being a life coach is a Polish man who migrated to Great Britain about five or six years ago. His name is Michael Swarma. And today, he has multiple clients, and he charges them $45,000. He gets it in euros or pounds, I'm not sure. But $45,000 equivalent per year per client. He says about himself, I am OCD. I take antidepressants, and it took me 18 months to get a date with a girl who's become my wife. Now, I'm not sure I want advice from a guy like that, you know? He's up front, though. What we can say, he is an honest person. But here's the good news for us. If we know Jesus, we have the ultimate life coach. His name is the Holy Spirit. He is God. In John 16, 13, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He calls Him the Spirit of Truth, which means He's the Spirit who produces the truth. He's the one who inspired the writing of the Bible to begin with. But not only does He give us the Word, He explains it to us. He interprets it. He teaches us. He is our ultimate life coach. Isn't He? The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want direction? The right kind of direction, there's only one place to go. All it will cost you is devotion to Jesus Christ. Spending time alone with God. Listening to Him speak to you in in the Word. Fellowshipping with the Lord. 
In Isaiah verse 21 of chapter 30, the Bible speaks this. This is God's word through Isaiah. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way walk in it when you turn to the right or to the left. So we have the Lord in us by the Spirit of God, we who know Him. And as we follow Him and we begin to veer off the path that He has designed for us, the good news is He speaks to us as we're in fellowship with Him. He gives us that gentle whisper in our ear to get back on track. He shows us the way. In Psalm sixteen eleven, this is what David says about God. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and what? The life. The Spirit of God is described by Paul under inspiration of that same Spirit in the book of Romans chapter 8. He's described as the Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit's the author of life as well as truth. And we have Him living in our lives. And consequently, as we depend upon Him, we listen to Him, speak to us through the Word of God, we can say with David that, Holy Spirit, You will make known to me the path of life. We can trust the Lord. He makes no promise that He's unwilling or unable to fulfill. Do you know that? God is not a man that He should lie. Nor the Son of Man that He should repent, has He said, and will He not do it? Has He promised, and will He not fulfill it? The Bible is worth reading because it's invaluable for our guidance. Do you need some guidance today? There's one place to go. That's to the Word of God, listening for the voice of God by the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Also, and this was, should be at the top of the list, really, it's invaluable for your salvation. Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? Do you? How do you know that? Because in 1 Peter 1.23, the Bible says, You have been born again by the living and abiding Word of God. No one comes to know Christ apart from what is told us in Scripture about what it means to be saved. And it's from that salvific work of God in our lives that issues this kind of life that is one which is pleasing to God and peaceful and successful and one which is characterized by God's guidance in our lives. Lastly, and there are many more things that you could say, I'm sure, about why it's valuable, I hope you've thought about others that I don't even touch on today in the message but for our sanctification. What is sanctification? It's a big word. We don't usually talk about it except in a context like this. Well, it's a word that describes that aspect of salvation. The first part of salvation is justification, where we are declared righteous in Christ. It's as if we had never sinned before. When we come to know Jesus, that is phenomenal. It's mind-boggling. That when Jesus forgives you of your sin, we have been justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we trust Christ, the slate is wiped absolutely clean. 
Ah, it's unreal. We're made right before God. Well, the reality is there's a big gap, isn't there, between where you start out and where God wants you to get to be fully sanctified. There's a big gap. But in God's grace, He says, you don't have to worry about being kicked out of the kingdom. If you're in me, you're good. But what the Lord ensures is, in the New Covenant, in the book of Ezekiel 36, the Word of God says, I will put my Spirit in you, and He will move you, and I'm going to simplify this, to obey me. The inclination, the impetus for me to be obedient to the Lord, it doesn't come from Mike Woods. It comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. And as I obey, I become more set apart. That's what sanctified means. More set apart. And another way of describing what sanctification is, it's spiritual growth. I become more like Christ. And what does God use to accomplish this? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Sure, I've already touched on that. But Jesus says to the Father in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What does God use? The Bible. He uses His word so that we can grow spiritually. If you never read the Bible, you will remain a spiritual infant. It's just as simple as that. But if you read the Bible with a heart to hear, God will speak to you and you will develop and you will grow in your walk with the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says, Like newborn babies crave the pure milk of the Word, for by it you will grow in your salvation. The last verse of the book of 2 Peter says this, Keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is never a moment, as long as you're in this world, you will never outgrow the need to grow spiritually. You will never get to the point where you shouldn't crave the pure milk of the Word like a baby craves his or her mother's breast for the food and the nurturing that comes through that. Jeremiah 15, excuse me, wrong Jeremiah chapter 23, 29. This is what God says. Is not my word like fire? And is it not like a hammer that breaks a rock? Really the word means shatters a rock. Now I like to think of the way that the Holy Spirit builds me up with His word using a hammer constructively. And I think, I don't want you to wear me out, Lord. I don't, I don't like it when you discipline me. But do you understand that the disciplinary action of God is an integral part of our sanctification? And this is why when we read the Bible sometimes, we go, ouch. And how God in His sovereign grace will discipline us through the Word. And He will use that to... Help us to come face to face with our own deficiencies. And we can say, Lord, I can't do it. And you know what he'll say to you? Not verbally, audibly, but he'll say to you, I know that. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. 
I will empower you, Holy Spirit says. Let's go on now, having looked at the first reason why the Bible's worth reading. It's infinite. Secondly, it's invaluable for pleasing God, personal peace, success, guidance, salvation, and our sanctification. Here's the third answer to that question, why the Bible is worth reading. Because it is invigorating. The Bible says about itself in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living. It's a breathing document. It's alive. And it's used by God to show to us in our innermost being who He is. In Jeremiah 15.16, this is what Jeremiah the prophet says about the Word of God. Your words were found, and I ate them. And they became to me joy. Do you ever have joy when you read the Word of God? Became joy and the delight of my heart. Does that approximate where you are in your life? Do you find joy and great delight in God's Word? Do you look forward to reading the Bible for the things that you learn about God and about you in relationship to Him, it's amazing to think about this great joy that comes to us. In Psalm 16:11, I already mentioned the first line of that. The second and third lines read like this from David. David says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. How do we come into the presence of the Lord? Will we worship Him? We praise Him? How do we know to come into the presence of the Lord? We know it from the Word of God, don't we? Everything takes us back to the Word of God, inspired by God, interpreted for us by God. It comes back to the Scripture, how God has given this wonderful piece of literature that is living. It is palpable. It breathes, as it were. God uses His Word in our lives to invigorate us. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. Here's the fourth answer to the question why the Bible is worth reading. Because it's invincible. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing his swan song to his son in the faith, Timothy. Thank God the Spirit of God preserved that for us. It's such a beautiful book. Encouraging. And he's on death row. He's in the Marmitine prison in Rome. He's been sentenced to beheading by... Nero, he doesn't know exactly the date that's designed for that, but he knows it's coming. So he says to Timothy, come, come quickly, he says. He says it more than once, come. And when you come, bring my books and the parchments. The parchments would be the Word of God. And bring me a cloak while you're at it. It's chilly in this place. It's damp in this dungeon. And then he says this, maybe I'm chained. I can't get out of this prison. To preach the gospel. I have limited access to people. But believe me and the word of God, more importantly, he would have preached the gospel to everybody who came into contact with him. He shared the Lord. But then he says the word of God is not chained. You can't chain up the Bible, can you? Years ago in Spain, one of the least evangelical countries in the world, very religious but not a whole lot of people, who really understand the gospel and know the Lord consequently. There was a little lady who came to Jesus. She was very unassuming. She came to the Lord 
And immediately, she wanted to tell people about Jesus. She couldn't contain herself. She was mocked and ridiculed. What she would do routinely is she would take portions of Scripture, particularly the book of John and the New Testament, and she would go down the street and everyone whom she would meet, she would try to engage in a gospel presentation. She didn't have a whole lot of takers, but one day she's walking down the street. There was a bricklayer, and he was building a wall around an impressive estate. And she said to him, Sir, would you please take this? It will change your life, if you will. He immediately recognized it as a piece of Scripture. He was a devout Roman Catholic, and he did, didn't say much to her. He just extended his hand. He was busy building the wall. And as he did, the thought occurred to him, I'll fix her. I'm going to put this little New Testament behind a brick I'm about to put in that wall. And nobody will be able to use that ever again. He did what he intended to do. Several weeks later, an earthquake hit that city. And this man was wondering if the work which he had done for the wealthy people that he built the wall around their property withstood the tremor. So he went there, and only one section was damaged. Guess which section it was? It was a section which contained that piece of Scripture. And he began to look around in the rubble there, and he found the Scripture. And he did something that really surprised him. He didn't throw it away. Instead, he began to read it. And it was not long until he gave his life to Christ and himself became an evangelist. The word of the Lord is not chained. People can be wiped out who are preaching the gospel. Wiped out, killed, crucified. People are being crucified today in the Middle East for preaching the gospel. Not being ashamed of Jesus and His words. Persecution is rampant for the Christian church around the world. And it's coming like a freight train here. I don't mean to be alarmist, but it's coming. We better be ready for it. But nevertheless, God keeps raising new people up. Doesn't, isn't that interesting when you study the history of the church? That the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, isn't it? The more persecution the devil levels at the church, the more healthy the church becomes and the more it grows. The Word of God is worth reading because it's invincible. And here's the last thing, and I'm going to spend a few more minutes on this one. And this is really where I'm headed with this message, actually, because it provides intimacy with God, relationship with God. It helps us to commune with the living God. The Bible talks about in 1 Chronicles 28.9, what David told Solomon when he was passing the baton to Solomon to become his heir to the throne. And he said these simple words to Solomon, Know the God of your father. Know the God of your father. That's the advice he gave to Solomon. The word know is a word which suggests intimate knowledge, not just casual knowledge, not 
information about God, but to really know God. In Romans 15, 4, the Bible says, whatever was written in earlier times, speaking of the Scripture, the Old Testament actually, as we call it, was written for your instruction. So why is the Bible written? For our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture is for inspiration. Do you need some encouragement today? I need it frequently. Where do we go to get good encouragement? That which really sticks and works. We don't go to our life coach. We go to the Lord, right? The ultimate life coach. And He gives us encouragement. Instruction, very important. Inspiration, very important. But I believe intimacy is most important. I'll tell you why. Follow me, please. You can have all kinds of instruction that's accurate, actually, and still be dead as a doornail spiritually. There's evidence of that in Jesus' life. The Pharisees knew the Word. They didn't know the Lord, though. You can... Be like so many preachers today, go to hear some preachers and it's just all about feeling good, feeling good, and you have to go back every week to get your dose of feel good. Well, life is not all about feeling good. It's about knowing God. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How do we know God? We know God because He reveals Himself to us by His Spirit through the Word of God. That's how. But intimacy, this is what happens. When you really want to know God, how do you become intimate with anybody? Because this is good common sense of how we become intimate with God. Get to really know Him. You spend unhurried time alone with that person Listening to the person. That's what we do with the Lord. Unhurried time alone with the Lord listening. That requires being deliberate about it. Intentional. Set a time. Be on time. If you are invited to be the guest of the Queen of England... All expenses paid. You might not give a hoot about her, but it would be nice to go to London... And get the red carpet treatment. If you were invited to do that, I would say most of you would go. And you would make sure that your flight was there a day early. So in case of some difficulty getting there, you'd be there. You would know for sure what time that the chauffeur from the Queen who came to your hotel to pick you up, picked you up, got you there on time. You wouldn't fiddle-faddle around. You'd get there on time because you want to honor the queen, correct? Does God deserve any less from us? Does Jesus deserve that? To be alone with Him in an unhurried fashion. To listen to Him. Not to run off at the mouth, but to listen to Him speak to you and me. Morning by morning, He awakens me to do what? To listen like a disciple. To listen. Do you know He waked me up this morning to listen? 
And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a child of God. That's why. He awakens us morning by morning. Set an appointment. Don't let anything interrupt. And a good way to do that is set it early in the morning. Because there aren't too many people up real early. Probably even in your own house. Set a time to be alone with the Lord. Open the Bible. And then, I'm going to give you a few scriptures that have been helpful to me. One is Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2, which says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth, so let your words be few. So I know I'm going there for the express purpose of listening to the Lord. And when I get there and I am calm my heart down, then I want to begin my conversation when I do say something by praising Him for who He is or thanking Him for what He has done. Enters gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Then here's something very important that I pray to the Lord. Open my eyes. I'm talking about the eyes of my heart. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in Your law. Lord, I have to have Your help. I won't understand this unless You explain it to me. There are the things that I do along the way. Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. This is David. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Why did he want to be taught? He wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And do you know what the word obey in the New Testament is a compound word of? Two Greek words, hupa, which means under, and akuo, meaning I hear. I hear under. What does that suggest to you? That's obedience. That's what obedience is. I hear the Lord and I submit to the Lord. That's what real obedience is. Are you getting the picture? So, we come and say, speak to me, Lord, so I can be obedient to you. And be what you want me to be and do what you want me to do. This is our incredible privilege as children of God to be alone with Him. He confides in us. He gives us His commands. He makes promises to us. We've talked about that already today. This is a beautiful thing which Jesus says. All things He says are beautiful. But this especially touches my heart. He says in John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father. Get the picture. Just see Jesus as He says this. He practiced what we've been looking at today. All things which I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now, these were the apostles. You might say, what does that have to do with us? I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with us. God spoke to Jesus. Jesus spoke to the apostles. And He says in John 14, 26 about the Spirit of God, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything which I said to you. Do you know what the New Testament is? It's the apostles' teaching. 
Where did they get their teaching? The Lord heard from the Father. Jesus did. Then He conveyed it to those apostles. And supernaturally, the Holy Spirit preserved that in their minds. And they wrote the Scripture. What a joy to know the Lord. And have that confidence that we can have in the Lord. The last thing I'm going to say also is from the Bible. In Isaiah 34, 6, the Bible says, Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Great advice. The Bible is indeed worth reading and applying to our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this time we've had together today. Oh, Lord, I pray that I would not be just a a pastor teller to these dear people who are Your people, Lord, but a true pastor teacher who applies what I teach before I teach it, Lord. Help me never to grow weary of coming before You and spending time with You. Forgive me, Lord. And forgive us, Lord, for being overly interested in what we can get from You as opposed with just being with You. We know proper instruction comes to those who are intimate with You. We know great inspiration does too. When we come before You and You speak to us truth from Your Word and give us the desire and the power to apply it, we pray this for this church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.